Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by AWS. Behind every incredible play are thousands of data points you might otherwise miss, such as a player's speed, field location, and movement patterns. The NFL uses AWS to process this large and complex data in real time. It's called Next Gen Stats, and with AWS machine learning and artificial intelligence technology, the NFL has developed ways to uncover deeper insights and expand the fan experience by offering a broader range of advanced stats and visualizations. Visit nextgenstats.nfl.com for all things stats. Next Gen Stats, powered by AWS. Now here's the show. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. I'm glad to be with you on this wonderful, wonderful evening. This might have been the prettiest day of all of 2020. Hopefully, you were able to enjoy it. Hopefully, the night for you is just as nice uh, as the afternoon was because, man, it was gorgeous. Gorgeous, and hopefully it'll be that way in Chicago on Sunday, but the last I looked, let's take a look at the weather uh, in Chicago. Right now, it's, right now, it's just gorgeous. It is. It says it's 66. It's probably like 67, 68, because it feels a little bit warm. Chicago on Sunday will be 32 degrees with a low of 23. <laughs> it's going to be awful. In 2004, is I think the coldest game or one of the coldest games in Texans history. In 2012, it was in the 50s, but it was pouring down rain the entire time. So imagine 40s and 50s in rain the entire time. I mean, just miserable. But hopefully there'll be no rain. It looks like it'll be partly cloudy, but it will be cold. Very, very cold. I am... I'm definitely packing every warm thing that I've got to be ready for this one on Sunday. But uh, we will be ready. We'll definitely be ready. There's no question about that. All right, we got plenty on the show tonight. We're going to hear from Mark Vandermeer. He's going to join me uh, for a little bit on the show. We've got our uh, Behind Enemy Sidelines interview this week with DP Sidhu, of course. Adam Johns from The Athletic, who knows the Bears very, very well. And I... I sometimes like when she, when DP gets interviews from outside the building. Sometimes they're a little bit more candid and, and can be. Um, I kind of know that feeling of doing interviews, being inside the building, and not being as potentially candid as you could be. But that said, DP sits down with Adam Johns. And when you don't play a team, it's kind of revealing in some sense to hear what the writers have to say about their particular team. And I would imagine with the quarterback rotation uh, that they've had, uh, it hasn't been good. The Ferris wheels just kept going. And now it's Foles, and now it's Trubisky, and then it's back to Foles, and it's Trubisky. It's been a nightmare. So I would imagine this one for Chicago Bears fans uh, is interesting, to say the least, frustrating, because they look across the field and they go, hey, that guy number four, he would have been with us. I actually tweeted today. I went back, and I was actually having a discussion with um, my buddy Nick Patterson, who's an intern for us, tremendous videographer, going to have a great future. And I was talking to him, and we were talking about this game, and I said, you know, uh, or well, we were talking about this game, and we were also talking about Patrick Mahomes. And I said, you know, I kind of made some waves back in 2017 when I put Patrick Mahomes at number three 
in my 2017 mock draft. It was February 15th, 2017, like well before, well before like most of the mock drafts are done, well before the analysis, the over analysis. And putting Mahomes at number three was shocking to a point that my editor from the Washington Post called me and said, are you sure? I said, yeah, go with it because I think it can happen. And who was sitting at number three at the time? The Chicago Bears. Yeah, the Bears. Now, if you remember what happened on draft night, the Bears went up to number two, making a trade because the 49ers fleeced them. And I think they had been a third rounder for that. And the 49ers weren't taking a quarterback. They were taking Solomon Thomas the whole time. But they were able to procure a pick. And when they moved up, I thought, oh, man, that's Deshaun. It's got to be. They're going up for Deshaun. Nope, Mitchell Trubisky. I was like, whoa, baby. That leaves all kinds of options. Kansas City traded up to get Mahomes. Texas traded up to get Sean. And the rest is history. And Trubisky might be history after his uh, the rest of this season. But we'll see. And I imagine we're going to see plenty of him on Sunday. Put up 30 points against the Lions. But you know, the Lions defense we saw on Thanksgiving, and eh, not so great. Either way, we'll hear from Adam Johnson to give us the inside skinny on the Chicago Bears. We'll also go in the lab with my man Drew Doherty later in the show. And we spent the entire In the Lab podcast talking about the committee of six individuals. Am I missing one? Maybe five individuals? I think it's five. R.C. Buford, Andre Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, Rod Graves. Um, and I know I'm missing at least one. And I, I apologize for that. Oh, Tony Dungy. How can I forget Tony Dungy? So that's a committee. It's not the search committee. Search firm Corn Ferry is going to help with the search. Ultimately, as Cal McNair put in his letter to the season ticket members, that that decision was ultimately going to be his, his mother's, and the family's, that the committee of five and Corn Ferry were there to guide in this process, to help in this process, and to give information as much as possible to Cal McNair, uh, in particular, on this search for a GM and head coach. So... Drew and I spent some time talking about that because we did the In the Lab yesterday. It was probably about an hour after that committee had been unveiled in that letter to the season ticket members. So we'll have our thoughts on that later in the show uh, because I thought it was it was pretty cool to include Andre Johnson. Obviously, somebody knows the Texans very well. Tony Dungy, coached against the Texans, knows the league, uh, knows coaching, knows positive leadership. Jimmy Johnson, who obviously built the Cowboys, Jerry wants credit, but Jimmy built the Cowboys when the Cowboys were rock bottom. Rod Graves, who's from Houston, straight Jesuit, um, is now the chairman of the Fritz Pollard Alliance. And then R.C. Buford, who has done it in a different sport, looking outside the box a little bit. Hey, here's some of the things you might need to think about. So we talk about that later on in the lab. But it's Wednesday, and we're kicking off the show, so that means... Hot Reads, brought to you by Geico, and Geico has great news for you. 15 minutes is all it takes to save 15% or more on your car insurance. Go to geico.com and take care of that at the holidays. I mean, saving some money at the holidays? Come on, man. Got to do it. All right, we're going to start with the injury report today. And then we're going to get to some Romeo Cronell audio jukebox. Save a little Deshaun Watson, J.J. Watt audio jukebox for later in the show. But the injury report, I want to hit that first. Just 
Uh, I want to say get the bad news out of the way. Is that the right way of saying it? I don't know. But it's not great news. I'll put it that way, and you'll see what I mean in just one second. The DNPs for the Texans, Farrell Brown, and I didn't expect Farrell Brown to be back this week dealing with a concussion because he took a shot on the sidelines, but they were it was it was not great. So Farrell Brown, I was not surprised to see him on that list due to the concussion. And then not one, not two, but three cornerbacks for the Texans. Look, they're already down. Bradley Roby. You knew about Gary on Conley uh, a week or two ago. So those are t- supposed to be your two starters. Well, those two, not in the building due to suspension and injury. Then you started the other day, Vernon Hargraves and Philip Gaines as your outside corners. And Philip Gaines is on this list. Keon Crossan dealing with a foot. Philip Gaines dealing with a knee and a shoulder. And John Reed, who has come in and given some good things on special teams and then come in in specialized situations to rush the quarterback and blitz. He's dealing with a neck. Three corners. So the depth chart at corner, I'm trying to think, is Vernon Hargraves. And who am I missing? I think that's it. Vernon, I know I'm I know I'm missing somebody in that list. I know I'm missing what the cor- I mean, corner depth chart. Vernon, Phil, Philip, John Reed, Cornell Armstrong, Keon Crossan. I mean, that's you know, we haven't seen much of Corny. Keon went at the game the other day when uh, Phil got banged up for a little bit. So, oh boy. Now, if there's good news on the other side of this, it's the fact that the Bears don't throw for a ton of yards, although I do think Mitch Trubisky can throw it and throw it decently enough to put pressure, especially if you don't have corners out there, and how are you going to handle Allen Robinson? Well, that's not going to be fun. Limited participants, Brandon Cooks, Dealing with a foot and neck. Obviously, he was evaluated for, evaluated for a concussion in the loss to the Colts. Kiki QT dealing with a knee. And CJ Procise, those he has an illness. He's coming back from that, hopefully. They were limited in practice. Hopefully, that does not get worse. Now, the Bears have their own set of issues as well. Jimmy Graham, Akeem Hicks, Danny Trevathan. They were all resting vets, non-injury DNPs. But there were a few that were not, including one of the best edge rushers in the game, Khalil Mack, dealing with his shoulder, did not participate. Darnell Mooney, uh, for personal reasons, rookie wide receiver. Buster Screen, uh, one of the corners, has a concussion. And James Vauders, linebacker, dealing with a knee issue. Now, Graham Hicks and Trevathan, I expect to play. They'll be back in practice on Thursday. Khalil Mack is one to keep an eye on, obviously. He's dealing with a shoulder issue, and if he didn't participate on Wednesday, you never know. You you never know. But, man, I would love to face the Bears without Khalil Mack. That would be kind of nice. Limited participants, the big one here. Uh, two of them, Allen Robinson dealing with a knee, and Charles Leno dealing with a toe. Um, also, J.P. Holtz is a tight end, but the two big ones are Charles Leno, starting lineman, Allen Robinson, one of the better receivers uh, over in the NFC. So, those are... Names to watch in the injury report, especially those corners for the Texans. Oh, boy. And then seeing Cooks and QT on that list. I mean, my goodness. Uh, Corner and wide receiver have just been under siege lately. And hopefully that uh, that changes uh, over the course of the next couple of days before we fly off to Chicago on Saturday. All right. 
Let's move on to our next hot read, and that is going to be Romeo Cronell with the audio jukebox. All right, let's go. We're going to start with Romeo Cronell talking about Deshaun Watson dealing with some new targets, yet having a bunch of success with said targets. Well, John, I hope so. You know, uh, anytime somebody's got to throw the ball, somebody's got to catch the ball. And then they had to be on the same page, uh, find the open spot in the zone, or somebody's got to beat man-to-man coverage, and the quarterback has got to anticipate uh, and then make the throw. And, and so, you know, they have to work together to make it successful. And so hopefully uh, that will continue, you know. Uh, I mean, I think we all know what Watson brings to the table. And now then when you put new guys in with him, and he's still bringing that to the table, I think that says a lot about him. And then it says something about the guys, the new guys who are in there and who are operating with him, you know. So uh, I'm expecting it to continue, and I'm looking for it to continue. Look at that. I got a personalized response with that. How about that? That was kind of nice. All right. Let's talk a little defense. And we'll talk defense. We're talking about a guy that stepped up lately and that has been Terrell Adams the way he's playing the fact he's helping lead that defense I mean that fourth and one stop the other night was just other day was just ridiculous I mean what a great great play here's Romeo talking about the success that TA's been having I'm glad that he is leading the NFL in tackles um and you know when you don't get to see a guy in the games as much you really sometimes you don't know what you're going to get Um, but he's in there and he's producing, he's running to the ball, he's making tackles. And in the cocoon that I live in, John, I didn't even know he was leading the NFL in tackles. And that's that's pretty good for him. It really is amazing to think about a guy in Terrell Adams who's been such a great contributor on special teams. And then I said this last year after Tampa Bay game, he had to replace Bernard McKinney who got dinged up in the Titans game the week before. It kind of felt like, you know, I think Terrell will do okay. Does a really good job in special teams. I realized when he was out there, it was like, he's got the coach comp system in his helmet. They're talking to him. It's He's going to play a role in this um, down the road. And when Bernard McKinney went out with an injury, uh, which I believe was against the Packers. It may have, I think it was the Packers. Could be wrong, but I think it was the Packers, maybe the Vikings. T.A. has stepped in and done a whale of a job uh, in his Stead. So Terrell Adams doing great things, and hopefully he will continue to do great things down the road. Now, a guy that did tremendous things on Sunday was uh, Chad Hansen. And I got this question from text, from Twitter, I believe, about putting Hansen back on the practice squad. Because I know people saw that and went, no, uh, here's why. Well, that's part of this business that we live in. And I think that they understand that and they know that. Um, probably, you know, he doesn't like that possibility, but he had an opportunity to to show what he could do. And, and the NFL world saw what he could do. And so he has to take uh, some kind of solace in the fact that he produced in a game, you know, uh, and he's working with the top-ranked quarterback and, and can produce. And so I think... He has to feel like going forward, that will bode him well. 
I think the one other thing to add to that is the fact that uh, Chad Hansen going to the practice squad was more procedural, just based on the fact I believe he was a quote-unquote COVID-19 call-up, I think is kind of the... There, there is some language about the call-ups and that when he went reverted back to the practice squad in some sense, I think that was required after the game. He's protected for Tuesday. It would be a shock if Chad Hansen's not back in this lineup. And again, just going to the practice squad is more about a procedural thing than it is uh, anything else. All right, the loss to the Colts was was pretty pretty tough. But what can be even worse is if you let it linger and it beats you twice. Romeo talked about not letting that linger. I started with after the game, John, and I told him to hold their heads up. Uh, that I was proud of the way they played because they had a will to win and they displayed it in the game. Uh, and and one play doesn't define an individual or doesn't define the team. And and then this morning, I showed them one play from the Pittsburgh game where Pittsburgh, they got the ball, they got to go 75 yards, and they got two minutes to do it in, and on the very first play, the ball gets tipped, gets intercepted, and then they end up losing the game because they don't get the ball back until 17 seconds are left, and then they still got 75 yards to go. And then the Buffalo game, okay? The Buffalo game, they had a a goal line stand, a goal line stand. Buffalo got the ball at the one-yard line, and they know they need to get the ball off the goal line and hand the ball off, and it's fumbled. And San Francisco recovers, and San Francisco scores after that. And so those are that's one play in three different games that didn't it doesn't define the team because in Buffalo's case they had enough time that they can get something done about it and so they go win the game. Pittsburgh they didn't have enough time, all right, to get anything done about it, and then their undefeated record is no longer standing. All right, we didn't get into the end zone to win that game, but that doesn't define the team, and so that's what I'm telling them. And I'm telling them we're still capable of having a good last quarter of the season. And then we just got to have to go and continue to play with that will to win that they displayed in the last game. I couldn't agree more. I was really proud of the guys on that field that day. I mean, they took on what some people think is one of the better teams in the league. They didn't have Fuller. They didn't have Roby. They didn't have McKinney. They didn't have Gary and Conley. I mean, they were deficient, really. And I say deficient just in bodies. All across the, the all across the team, and yet two yards away, and could have finished that thing. You know, two yards away at Tennessee. I mean, like I've said, two yards away against Tennessee, two yards away against Indianapolis. Win both of those games, you're six and six, and both those teams are seven and five, and you would own the tiebreaker over both of them, and you would play both of them uh, again this year. But didn't happen, and now we got to get ready for the Bears, and hopefully we can get to win number five on the year. All right, that's going to do it for our Hot Reads, brought to you by Geico. When we get back, it's time for our Behind Enemy Sidelines interview of the week. And this week, it is Adam Johns from The Athletic, who covers the Bears right there in Chicago. That next on Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. 
And we will go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu this week and talk about these Chicago Bears. And the last time the Texans saw the Chicago Bears, that was 2016, four years ago. It was the opener that year. Will Fuller came out of the gates. Great. Brock Osweiler uh, looked good, and we felt like, yeah, maybe we got something here. And the Texans started off 1-0 after beating the Bears. The last time the, Bear, the Texans were in Chicago, that was eight years ago. I can't wait to get to Soldier Field. I've never been there. It's the last stadium, other than the two just completed stadiums, in the NFL that I needed to see. Detroit was one of them this year. Chicago was another one. Have not been to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Have not been to SoFi Stadium in LA. Looking forward to that down the road. But Soldier Field completes the set, if you will. So I am absolutely thrilled about going to Chicago. So what will I and others see on Sunday from the Chicago Bears? Well, DP City sat with Adam Johns of The Athletic to find out. So here's our Behind Enemy Sidelines interview with Adam Johns. Welcome into Enemy Sidelines presented by Microsoft Teams. My guest this week, Chicago Bears beat reporter Adam Johns. He covers the Bears for The Athletic up in Chicago. Welcome in, Adam. It's great to have you. I know it's not the season either of these two teams wanted, but here we are in December. So let, let's talk about these Bears, shall we? Because 5-1 and one to start the season, and now they're in the midst of a six-game losing skid. I mean, what's the attitude like in Chicago, and, and what's that roller coaster been like? <laughs> I actually think the Bears are, 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 should be thankful right now that there are no fans allowed in Soldier Field because they would be being they would be booed quite harshly right now. It's gotten that bad, DP. Um, I, I think we all expected some offensive struggles this season, but at least recently it's been the defensive decline, the, the lack of production from Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson, the, the superstars of this team that's been really frustrating for the organization right now. Two very bad losses against the Lions and Packers, especially on defense. Definitely going to get to you more about the defense, but you know what's the attitude like now? You've got four more games left in the season. The Bears um, can try to turn the losing skit around. They probably playoffs maybe out of reach, but what's just the general attitude now in December? Yeah, Bears coach Matt Nagy has been using this message: personal pride. Let's have some personal pride in how we, we prepare, how we coach this team, how we play on the field, everything we do. Let's have some personal pride. And really, that's what it's come down to. The, the playoffs don't look like a realistic possibility, even though the Bears are one game out. It's going to take a lot of help for that to ha- for that to, to really come to fruition. So have some personal pride. Let that show in every action that you have. That's the message right now from Matt Nagy. We'll see what that comes to be on the field against Deshaun Watson. All right, well, let's talk about the Bears quarterback situation because we've all watched it rather closely this offseason. They bring in Nick Foles. It starts off with Mitchell Trubisky, then he gets benched, Foles comes in, there's been injuries between the two of them, and now it looks like that Mitchell Trubisky is the starter once again. So how did he do? I know the Bears lost on Sunday against the Lions, but it seemed like the offense was moving the ball, doing some things well. Uh, what does Trubisky offer the offense maybe that that Foles doesn't? Well, Matt Nagy called that Lions loss. It is bad as it was, especially in those final five minutes, the best game by far. That's by far for the offense. So that's a significant statement considering he benched Trubisky all the way back in week three and he stuck for Nick he stuck with Nick Foles for that long for, for seven starts that weren't very good for Foles 
whatsoever. So he brings a little bit more in terms of athleticism. The offense does look different in terms of play calls, in terms of getting him on the move, doing things more with his feet. Uh, the run game is a bit different too. That's been productive uh, with Trubisky under center. That was true in the beginning of the season. And it's true right now in the past two games, his past two starts against the Packers and the Lions. So that should st uh, stay the same against the Texans. But yeah, I think uh, right now the storyline in Chicago with this game, especially with Trubisky getting it at this start, it's, it's what we all wanted. It's Mitch Trubisky versus Deshaun Watson, because we know that's a big storyline here in Chicago. Both of those quarterbacks coming out in the same draft. And uh, there was a lot of chatter about them that offseason. I remember it well. And it will be fun. Those the first they, they, they face off for the first time really in their yeah. NFL careers. You mentioned play calling, so let's talk about that because I know Matt Nagy handed off the play calling duties to his offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor. Does the offense look much different with Lazor calling the plays? How has it changed? It looked different against the, the Lions, and maybe that's Trubisky and him getting comfortable with each other. Maybe it's more input from Trubisky after you know him coming back from a, a shoulder injury as well. So there's a lot of layers to that Trubisky conversation that you have to get through. But yeah, the, the whole decision to to give that play calling those play calling responsibilities to Bill Lazor that's that was an effort from Matt Nagy, maybe a desperate effort from Matt Nagy to to really fix this offense where, where change is just needed, where enough is enough. It's time to try something different. What's going on is not working. So let's give Bill Lazor, who has play calling, uh, who, who has a play calling history with the Dolphins and the Bengals. Let's give him a shot. Um, it was better against the Lions, significantly better against the Lions than it was against the Packers. But sometimes the opponent matters too. The Lions don't have the best defense in the NFL right now. The Packers are a tad bit better, and they do have Aaron Rodgers. So there's other factors to, to take in, uh, into account, especially when looking at the Bears' offense and who's calling plays. All right, the run game, it suffered its own share of injuries. Tariq Cohen went out uh, on injured reserve early on in the season, but it seems like second year back, David Montgomery's really stepped up nicely in his place and been kind of a bright spot for that offense. He's averaging 4.1 yards per carry. Uh, what does he bring to the run game? He's a very violent runner. You're going to have to, to come after him in, in, in waves to get him down. He, he doesn't go down easily. He doesn't go down with arm tackles. Very violent in most everything he does. Like every carry he has, there's a there's a tad of violence to it. And Bears fans love that, especially with Walter Payton you know, being such a legend here, having that statue outside Soldier Field. So David Montgomery has really endeared himself to a lot of fans for his running style. He'll definitely bring that. Uh, against the, the Texans. To me, the biggest takeaway in terms of, of Montgomery's production over the past couple of weeks is actually having some stability and some continuity on that offensive line. They finally have found something that works. It's been a big problem all year long, a lot of injuries, some COVID-19 concerns as well, but they finally have a combination up front where it all starts. We, we know that, DP, up front where things are clicking, where there's some continuity, where there's some chemistry working in the trenches. All right, well, let's stick with the offense a little bit longer because Allen Robinson, he's uh, really led the team as far as receiving yards, 904 receiving yards, five touchdowns. Even with all the quarterback changes, he's been really productive on the field. So what has really stood out to you about Allen Robinson this year? Yeah, well, there's a couple ways I could go with this. Like he's coming off a game where he made a four-yard reception on a third and five play in the final seconds against the Lions where if he makes that first down, the Bears get a couple shots at the end zone or maybe having a different conversation right now. Maybe the Bears some some way somehow pull out a miraculous victory against the Lions. But instead, he gets four yards when the first down was there. Um, so right now in Chicago, I think fans are, are kind of upset with them because they missed an opportunity there. But 
overall, he's probably been their most consistent threat offensively. Um, I, I think that's actually safe to say. He's been that reliable no matter who's at quarterback. He's been their best player on offense. But he does leave you wanting more, a little bit more, whether that's it's that third down play against the Lions, whether it's losing a jump ball in the end zone against the Packers. He's lost a couple uh, of jump balls this season where defenders have made interceptions by actually pulling the ball away from them. So even though he is the Bears' best player um, by far offensively, maybe one of their best players overall on this team, he's, he's still had a season that leaves you wanting a bit more because of close calls like that, close plays where it could have gone either way. All right, well, let's switch gears and talk about that Bears defense because you alluded to it a little bit earlier. They've just not really stood up to some of the expectations, and they had a lot of high expectations yeah. That pass rush led by Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Robert Quinn, um, they've struggled in the past two games, but was there something different in that 5 and one stretch where they were playing so well? I mean, what what seemed to have changed over the course of the season for them? Yeah, it's, it's quite the mystery because they've invested so much money in this defense, really at all three levels, draft capital too. They've, this is where the team is built. Like this is supposed to be their strength. Cleo Mack is a, is a superstar, one of the best defenders in the league, but his numbers just aren't there. He's not close to, to leading the league in sacks right now. Robert Quinn hasn't had a sack, hasn't touched the quarterback, really, I don't think since his first snap for the Bears, probably going back to, to week two. So that's a baffling stat, especially when you see, you know, Leonard Floyd, who, he's, who Robert Quinn replaced, having a big season for the Los Angeles Rams right now. So there's a lot of questions about this defense because there's a lot of money uh, spent on this defense and uh, Chuck Pagano, the defensive coordinator is under some fire right now, but Matt Nagy's under some fire right now in Chicago. So uh, I don't know if he's getting a pass, but there is some added scrutiny to what he's doing in terms of his play calls, in terms of his game plans, in terms of how aggressive he's getting after quarterbacks right now, especially after what the Lions and Packers have done to that defense. All right. I want to ask you about inside linebacker Roquan Smith. He's actually part of our next gen stat presented by AWS. He's top five in the league amongst tacklers. He has 110 heading into week 14. So just a top 10 draft pick a few years ago. How does his presence affect the middle of that defense and what does he bring? Yeah, DB, this is the feel good story this year for the Bears. This is a player who who had some questions about his first two years, trying to find his way in the NFL. Did, did He looked lost at, at times. And, and last year, he missed a game because of personal reasons, and it took him a, a couple games to get back into the flow of the game. This year, he's been one of the Bears' best defenders. He's taken over the play calls in the middle of the defense. He's on the field for every single play and every single game. He's been good, too. A lot of tackles for loss, a lot of impact plays. He's had some sacks, too. He's all over the field. He's got that sideline the sideline speed that you want out of modern-day linebackers. He's great in coverage as well. So if you're ranking the feel-good stories for the Bears right now, it's Roquan Smith, number one, because the Bears, they love their linebackers. Dick Buckus, Brian Urlacher, Mike Singletary. This is a franchise that loves its linebackers, and Roquan Smith just happens to be the next great one. Well, another feel-good story I think has got to be the specialist, your return teams in uh, Cordero Patterson. He's just had an outstanding season. I've only caught a few Bears games this year, but it seems like Whenever he's returning the ball, it's always a big play with a big gain, a lot of yards. What makes him so elusive? And are you surprised that teams continue to kick to him? <laughs> he's had a few teams. Um, he's scared a few teams. Uh, let, let's say that every week you, you see the short kick, you see the long kicks out of the end zone. He's that good. He's one of the best returners 
of all time. And we know returners well in the city because we've had Devin Hester. Like he, he was the superstar of superstars when it comes to kick returners. So we, we know what we're talking about here in Chicago. And Cordell or Patterson, he's right up there. He may not be as good as Hester, but he, he he's up there in terms of the kick return game. Devin Hester was a great punt returner. Cordell Patterson might be the better kick returner. So obviously the Texans should be scared of him. The, the stats speak for themselves. The production speaks for themselves. He opened the game against the Lions with a big return. And he's turning out to be quite the, the productive running back as well. The Bears found a, a role for him in that situation, or at least in terms of having him be the backup for David Montgomery. So he's been a good free agent signing for Ryan Pace and the Bears. And, and yeah, safe to say he's one of the best returners of all time. So don't kick to him, Texans. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know why anybody's been kicking to him, but maybe there's something out there that I'm missing. All right, Adam, I know it's a busy week for you all. What stories are you working on for The Athletic this week? Yes. You know, right now, the the scrutiny of, of Matt Nagy and his play calls are definitely a big storyline. But to, to me, it's the Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky storyline that I think takes precedence over everything. We all know the story here very well in Chicago. The Bears traded up to number two, not to draft Deshaun Watson, who was coming off a national title and a successful career at, at Clemson, not to draft uh, Patrick Mahomes, but to draft Mitchell Trubisky, who's had his ups and downs here in Chicago. Obviously, we just talked about him being benched in favor of Nick Foles this year. Deshaun Watson is one of the best young quarterbacks in the game going right now. He's one of the most exciting players, one of the best leaders in the NFL right now. Different stories unfolding right now here for the Bears. I think the Bears would love to have Deshaun Watson, but obviously they got quarterback concerns. So that Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky storyline is number one here right now in Chicago. It certainly is a good one, but I got to say people in Houston and Texans fans are very happy that that unfolded the way <laughs> in 2017 because this team's gone through its own share of quarterback struggles. Adam, thank you so much for the time. Always a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you soon. Happy to help. Yeah, I will say the Texans did have Matt Schaub. Yeah, we've had our quarterback issues. You know, when Schaub was just done, which was the first year was 2014. Look, we had it for three years, 14, 15, 16, and then the savior came in. Uh, Deshaun Watson coming in, and oh my gosh. I mean, oh, that was so awesome. The Bears have had quarterback issues forever. Forever. Name the last great Chicago Bears quarterback. I mean, Jake Cutler, I guess. He wasn't even that good. I mean, that's that's it. That's why they drafted a quarterback. I'm trying to remember. I guess, it, oh yeah, it was Cutler in 2016 that played against us. And you wouldn't even call him great. I don't think. But that was it. And Cutler was there for three, four years, if that. I mean, the days way back in the day. Uh, Bob Avellini and Vince Evans, Cade McNown. I mean, all the different players they've drafted to play that position. They've not gotten it right. And it's frustrating, and especially when their fans are going to see a guy that they could have drafted, but no, they drafted Mitchell Trubisky. It's got to be so incredibly frustrating. I do think that Mitchell's got something. Drake, Andre, where and I, we've talked about this. He's got skills. He's got skills. Maybe it's just not a fit for Matt Nagy, potentially. Who knows? But Deshaun Watson's our guy. He's not in Chicago, and that makes all of us very, very happy. All right, we get back. We'll talk to our good pal Mark Vandermeer right here on Texans All Access. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Apache Corporation. 
Nearly 3 billion people worldwide live in energy poverty, meaning they lack access to reliable electricity or clean cooking fuels. The natural gas and oil produced by companies like Apache Corporation help power cleaner electricity, enable access to food, education, and healthcare, and connect us to those we love. We are committed to providing the energy the world needs and to elevating families across the globe to higher standards of living. Learn more at ApacheCorp.com. That's ApacheCorp.com. Now here's the show. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I looked down and saw it was December 9th, and you look outside, and it's nighttime, and it's like you're sweating when you go outside. That will not be the case Sunday when I, your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, walk into Soldier Field for the very first time in my 48 years on this planet and cannot wait. Somebody who's been there a couple other times before me is the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, and he joins me now. Mark, Soldier Field, is it, uh, is it worth it? Is it one of those stops that, like, yeah, you really got to make it to go to Soldier Field, to feel kind of the history of the NFL at Soldier Field? Uh, look, uh, Johnny, Lambo. I'm going to be honest here. Lambo's better a yep. lot. Yes. But there's something about being in Chicago and being outside of Soldier Field. Because as we were discussing with Tim Kelly, you know, he called it a spaceship. So I'm glad <laughs> he said that as a Chicagoan, because yeah. that's what it looks like. A spaceship landed inside an old building. Yeah. And um, I, I just think that it doesn't hold the weight of Lambeau Field even close. Right. Apparently, Hallis Hall, where they practice is a remarkable place with their Hall of Fame or whatever they call it. And they've got an incredible uh, studio where you can move. They have movable walls, and it's huge, and they have events there. Uh, and I'm not sure – you know, that's not obviously where the building is. So they've really done a great job with that. But that's not a historic site. Soldier Field is – I just think going to Chicago and playing the Bears in the Windy City – and by the way, does anybody really call it that in Chicago? Is that one of those things where the outsiders call it that? Kind of like Happy Valley. Yeah. I used to live in State College. Nobody called it Happy Valley. But I digress. I just think it's um, not quite the same. But there's something about being on the turf there because you know what's gone down there historically. You know, that's a great topic for an off-season show because in North Carolina, nobody ever calls it the Dean Dome. And nobody. Mm. And if you remember, right. a long time ago, it was named after Dean Smith. Everybody in North Carolina calls it the Smith Center. If you say uh, Dean Dome, they don't know what you're talking about. They're like, what? The Dean? The what? Oh, the Smith Center. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know where that is. You know, so it's, that's, that's a very interesting one. We can do that uh, down the road. One of the things, Mark, I, I'm going to miss, and I, this, this kind of bothers me, but I'm going to miss it. I mean, obviously, I'll be there. But because of all the different COVID restrictions and such, I don't go to the press box. I don't go up. When we've gone to places like MetLife, playing the Giants, um, you know, going to Arlington even to take on the, the Cowboys, going to Cleveland, when you see all the different historical pictures that are, you know, up on the press box that you get yeah. a chance to see and you realize – this is one of the oldest franchises in the NFL. It's so cool to end up playing them. And obviously, we are the youngest franchise. 
And so it's the oldest versus the youngest. And I just I find that so fascinating, Mark. And I don't know if there'll be another franchise that comes in. It may be this way forever that the Texans are the youngest and the Bears are the oldest. But to me, there's something so romantic about that with the Texans, young, taking on the old, the Bears, but just the history of the Bears. When you were up there, when you went up there in 04 in, in 2012, do you get that feeling when you're up in the press box, when you're walking around? Do you get that feeling as you're walking around, even though it's been renovated uh, over the last how many ever years? Well, it's a weird booth in Chicago. I hate to ruin that because uh, – and I'm not going to ruin it. I do feel the same way. You know this. Yeah. And I, I can validate that. But there is a big difference between this and the other press boxes. The radio booth is on the opposite side of the stadium as the press box. And the radio booths are weird because you can't see the scoreboard. They have oh, their wow. – they have a, you have your own little scoreboard that they park on the overhang because you can't see high in the air. You can't even see the punts, Johnny. From, it, it reminds me of some weird college press boxes I've been to. It's like, here's Brian Anger with the punt. I guess it's pretty good. And now it's coming down, it's going to be caught. You know, like you don't know if it's a wounded duck or if it's a beautiful, you know, Shane Leckler Hall of Fame type punt. You just got to go with it. Yeah. So it's just, but the rest of this, 04 was remarkable because there we were in December. It was only year three of the franchise. Yeah. I looked it up today. It was 11 degrees, but that's, come on, that's on the stat sheet. It was minus eight wind chill, and the wind's coming out of the north. And the only thing north of Chicago is, like, Santa Claus, okay, and Lambeau Field. That's it. Those are the only two things north of Chicago. Yeah. The wind is coming from there, yeah. and it's brutal. And we had a ball. I mean, it was David Carr throwing a TD to Corey Bradford. It was the Texans getting turnovers, winning 24-5 to that day, by the way. Lovey was coaching, and I've told the story many times about how my, my water bottle kept freezing up. My pen froze up. Had to do push-ups. It was literally 10 degrees in our booth. It was amazing to do that game and to come out of there with a win. Just felt like, you know, you, you really celebrated the history and the Texans' history of it to be able to go up there and get that victory in 04. How did you make it back without our partner Andre Ware not losing his mind with it being that cold? Well, all right, that's a great question because when we go to Lambeau in 08, it's three degrees, yeah. and Andre brought his own space heater, right? <laughs> so, and I think he purchased it on the trip or something like that. So he, he was so ready for that one. And at Lambeau, it's different because the booth is heated. It's nicer. Yeah. They renovated it. Yeah. You know, the Bears, they might have renovated the stadium, but you're still in this kind of concrete. It's like Hannibal Lecter's cell. You know, you just <laughs> – it's not very cozy, uh, and it's not warm at all. I mean, you, know, you barely have a window. Like, well, Hannibal didn't have a window. The point is this. Uh, so, Andre, to answer your question, Andre, here's the thing about Andre. He doesn't like the cold, but he geared up for that Chicago Bears trip. Yeah. I had electric socks, and I think he might have too. We had electric socks. <laughs> that helps. If yeah. your feet are cold along with everything else, you're dead, as you yeah. know. Uh, uh, but – even with all that stuff, you know, what people don't – and look, I, this is not woe is me. I'll call a game in anything. The coldest games I've ever called were the ones where, you saw, where you're sort of caught off guard, like yeah. baseball in Michigan in the spring. There is nothing colder than that. I'm yeah. sorry. 
because you're thinking it's baseball. It'll be nice. Then you're there for a seven hour double header and you have hypothermia, you know, <laughs> the bears game and the Packer game. I was layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. It was still hard to keep uh, warm in Chicago because that was just brutal. And you're talking for three hours. So you can hear it in your voice, yeah. which I like. There was no option to close the windows, by the way, in Chicago, no option because it was like uh, a garage door sort of thing, you know, like you slide it down. It was not glass. You couldn't see through it. So you had to open it and call the game. And here we go. And I'll never forget that day. When we get back, Mark and I will continue our conversation talking about one of the greatest wins in Texans history that happened the last time the Texans were at Soldier Field. We'll do that next right here on Texans All Access. We got one hour down and one hour left to go right here on Texans All Access. John Harris with Mark Vandermeer. And Mark, I got to tell you, the weather... Oh, yeah. It was the first thing I looked at on Sunday after we played our game. Like, okay, thinking ahead to Chicago. All right, what's the temperature? 35 is a high, 23 is a low. And I'm like, I think, I think I can make that. I think that I'll be okay. But the one thing that you had in 2012 was the rain. Yep. Mark, I can't even imagine. Now, that game was also played earlier in the year, too. So, that was like week, uh, what, 10? Nine or ten. Yeah, nine or nine or ten, because we were seven and one. Both teams were seven and one going in. Yeah. So it was probably a little bit better. The, the stat sheet said like in the fifties. But Mark, the nope. pouring down rain during that game, and I was going back, I did this on Texans replay the other day, and I was looking back at that game. And yes, the rain was a huge factor. Mark, it it was a turnover fest. I totally yeah. and completely had forgotten that. There were yeah. turnovers left. And right. And here's the other thing that stood out. Obviously, rain was a big factor. But the high mark, high water mark for the quarterbacks was Matt Schaub's 95 yards. Cutler was like 40-something, then he got knocked out. Jason Campbell was 94. Nobody threw for more than 95 yards in this game. What stood out to you about that 2012 trip to Chicago? Well, it's funny because I looked at the same thing and it was like 53 degrees. And I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> that is not how I remember this game. Because look, our, first of all, 53 in Houston feels, you know, we've had a few 53s lately. It's not yeah. warm, right? But yeah. when it's raining and windy in Chicago and getting dark and, and getting colder as the game goes on in the rain and the wind, it's getting a little chilly, okay? So that was a chilly game. And here's what else happened. I'll never forget this. Getting on the plane after we won the game, the temperature dropped like, I don't know, it felt like 20 degrees in five minutes. It was something was coming in from the North Pole, and it was not good. And I'll never forget that. But during the game, you're right, it was a sloppy game. It was 13-7, to right? It was a sloppy game. And Daniel Manning is playing against the Bears, and, you know, he's this is his what? His third year with the Texans, yep. his second year with the Texans. And he's playing against the Bears, and there's a lot of talk all week about Manning, and they let him walk, and all this other stuff. And I love it when guys play their former team because, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter much. I remember like Robert Smith for the Texans playing against the Titans. He would play lights yeah. out against the Titans. So here's Daniel Manning against the Bears. He forces a fumble. He picks off a pass. And the stat sheet doesn't really tell the whole story. You just had this, like, Forrest Whitaker, fast times at Ridgemont High <laughs> feeling from Daniel Manning that night where he was not going to let the defense 
uh, allow a score. You know, and they had seven points. Jason Campbell came into the game for Cutler. And I'm thinking, well, Jason Campbell. And we're looking at his, his numbers. He's, he had 70 starts under his belt. When he entered the game, and I was like, "This is no easy pickings here." This guy yeah. started seventy games, you know. And Andre always liked him, and you know. And I understand. I mean, the guy's got a lot of talent. You don't start seventy games in the NFL unless you're talented. Uh, but the defense was so good. You remember Johnny yeah. and Arian Foster had that diving touchdown reception, which I'll never forget. Which I think is the is the best touchdown reception yeah. of his career. You could probably think of another one. Correct me, but I I wrote that today. Uh, and I just think that's the memorable thing. Arian and the slop fest and Manning about that game. Yeah, it. I still think, and I say this on replay, not only is it one of the better receptions, or one of the better reception touchdowns, I just feel like it's one of the better individual efforts for a touchdown. I mean, obviously, mm. since Deshaun has been here, we've seen a few uh, just from him. I mean, the Buffalo game, obviously, carrying guys into the end zone and such. But that catch... In that weather, at that point, that's not, that's not an easy catch to make. And then it's pouring down rain. And that picture, it had been, it was a framed picture. It was somewhere in our offices for a while. So you would, we would see that picture, and I still would, I would just marvel at what he did to be able to make that catch in that particular weather. And it was like the guy was such a, and we've said this before, Numerous times. He was so good down on a goal line running the ball. But then you could throw him that sort of pass, and he could catch it and make a play and make a touchdown. In fact, the only touchdown that night, because I think it ended up being 13-6. Uh, to six. But what a, what a win that was. And Market also says this. 4 at Chicago, a win. 8 back home, a win. 12 at Chicago, a win. 2016 at home, a win. 2020. I mean, if things hold, I mean, yeah. is it is it the only franchise? I mean, it's, I think, right? The only franchise that we are undefeated against? Yeah, uh, you know what? You're putting me on the spot, and I believe so. I thought I looked it up in the offseason because what, one thing I found interesting about this was that the Texans have never beaten the Vikings, and they've right. never lost to the Bears. Yeah. And they still have never beaten the Vikings. And I'm hoping they still will have not lost to the Bears, you know. So, you know, when you only play these guys every, you know, four years, uh, it's pretty easy to keep track of the history there. Uh, but I got, I have to say that's right. Because it was Miami for so long until yeah. 15 when they, you know, put that horizon job on them uh, down in South Florida. Uh, and then when it went right back to beat the Dolphins when they took on Brock in 2018 and got the yep. job done. It was 2018, right? Yep. So. Uh, I I believe it is. I'm thinking here. It's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah, I'm thinking of all the I, NFC you know, divisions. The only other thing I can think of is the the artist formerly known as the Redskins. Maybe. No. 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 Because Lions? they beat uh, they they beat Kubiak early on in his first year, 06. and that was when Mark Brunel set the record for consecutive completions breaking cars record that he set a week or two earlier you know so that was you know that was mark brunell playing for washington at the time and beating kubiak's texans kubiak didn't get his first win until week three or four against the dolphins his first year here wow wow well mark i i you know i've thought about this this game obviously 
Uh, and you know, you and I have spent a lot of time looking back at the history of, of it because I think they're, I think it's a fascinating history in the fact that, A, the Texans have never lost to the Bears. The games that they have won, especially in Soldier Field, have been incredibly memorable. And now you're taking a team that features Mitchell Trubisky. And, Mark, how about this? I, I went back today because I was talking to our, our intern, our buddy Nick Patterson, and we were talking about Patrick Mahomes. And I don't know why we got on Mahomes. We got on Mahomes for something. And we got to thinking about this game. And I was like, you know, I did a mock draft. I was telling him a story about how I did a mock draft back in 2017 for the Washington Post, about two and a half months before the draft, in which I, I projected Patrick Mahomes to go number three. And at the time, my editor was like, are you crazy? Are you sure? And I'm like, book it. Just do it. I guarantee you, it, A, will get clicks. And B, when it's all said and done, <laughs> it may not be that far off. And so I went to go find that mock draft. And I looked at it and went, oh, my gosh, how are things different? All right? So let's play this out. The number one pick was Miles Garrett. I didn't change that. The number two pick, if, if you remember, was San Francisco. And they worked a deal with Chicago to move down a spot. And we were all like, whoa, what's going on? This is crazy. The Bears have got to be going to get a quarterback. Well. In my mock draft, San Francisco was at number two. They had just hired Kyle Shanahan, and I projected a young quarterback from Clemson named Deshaun Watson to go to San Francisco. Ooh. At number three, I then put to Chicago Patrick Mahomes. How wow. is life different in all of those places – if San Francisco drafts Deshaun, if the Bears draft Mahomes, stay where they are and draft Mahomes, we obviously have to go find a quarterback, and Kansas City doesn't end up with either Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. How is life completely different for all those franchises? It's a great question. Here, How far does Trubisky fall if Mahomes and Watson are gone early, right? And Chicago, oh, yeah. still looking for a quarterback – doesn't have a pick till who knows when, and what do they do? I mean, do they trade for Garoppolo eventually? Because that was pre-Garoppolo San Francisco, right? right? When Shanahan was hired there. Right. And, you know, and, and you want to talk about a quarterback who's kind of polarizing right now. Johnny, I mean, this is a whole other subject. Yeah. But think about, you know, what's, what's the narrative on Garoppolo? I know he's hurt right now, but yeah. Garoppolo. And then you go to Carson Wentz, who's got a bazillion-dollar contract, and he's oh. benched. You know, you have a lot of interesting situations here because in the offseason, I know there was some iffiness about Wentz, but and everyone made a big deal about Garoppolo missing a throw in the Super Bowl. But I, coming into the season, it was like, Garoppolo, they'll, they'll be fine. Uh, Wentz, maybe not, but he should be better. Come on. But look now. I mean, it, you have no sure things. That makes you extra grateful for Watson, right? Exactly. And it makes you extra upset if you're a Bear fan about Trubisky. And I know Andre likes Trubisky and thinks he's got – uh, yeah. moldability, and he, and, and he, you can develop him. But the thing is, you're running out of time. You know, it's year four. Yeah. Uh, he has turnover problems. Like last week, you know, I was talking to Jeff Joniak, and he's like, gosh, I mean, the guy just – he makes good plays, and he's a good leader. They love him, but then he turns it over. Yeah. You know, and, and you can't do it. And I know, like, the, you don't always control the pass rush, but 
you got to find a way to hold on to the ball. It's just Daniel Jones, same thing with the Giants. You have to hold on to the ball. The quarterback, look, quarterback, what, what percentage is a quarterback of your football team, Johnny? What percentage just of the importance, of the oh. magnitude, of the performance? It, it's like at least half, if not more, at, is at your least. quarterback. And if you've yeah. got the right guy, I mean, it's, it's that much more. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think about. And where I had Trubisky going – Actually, Trubisky was the fourth quarterback off the board on my first mock. The third quarterback was Deshaun Kaiser because that's how much people loved him. I had the Bills taking Kaiser at 10. I had the Browns at number 12 taking Mitchell Trubisky, in which we all know the Texans oh. traded up to number 12 to draft Deshaun when he was there. I had the, I had the Texans taking Garrett Bowles from the Broncos, who actually – the last couple of years has turned it around and actually just got a big extension from the Broncos. The irony is that the pick right before I mocked the Oakland Raiders taking Zach Cunningham from, from Vanderbilt oh, wow. right before that. So it was weird to look back at that, but I know that Bears fans look at that draft and go, are we ever going to get it right? And thankfully, Mark, the Texans definitely got this one right with Deshaun Watson, no doubt about it. All right, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Johnny. Speaking of Deshaun Watson, let's hear from he and J.J. Watt next on Texans All Access. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by AWS. Behind every incredible play are thousands of data points you might otherwise miss, such as a player's speed, field location, and movement patterns. The NFL uses AWS to process this large and complex data in real time. It's called Next Gen Stats, and with AWS machine learning and artificial intelligence technology, the NFL has developed ways to uncover deeper insights and expand the fan experience by offering a broader range of advanced stats and visualizations. Visit nextgenstats.nfl.com for all things stats. Next Gen Stats, powered by AWS. Now here's the show. All right, I got a little confession to make as we get back into the show this Wednesday edition of Texas All Access. I had planned to do Texas Audio Jukebox. I love Texas Audio Jukebox. It's one of my favorite segments to put together. So that's the bad news. No Texas Audio Jukebox. But here's the good news. Instead of getting just selected cuts, you're going to get J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson in its entirety. How about that? Let's start with J.J. Watt, who met with the media today. Uh, we ask you every week, twice after games in here, about the run defense. But is the improvement of run defense more of an individual thing? Each guy takes it on himself, or is it more of a defensive thing? Combination of both. Um, individuals uh, doing a good job playing in their gap, shedding blocks, and making tackles. Um, I don't think we're missing as many tackles as we used to. Um, but it's also a simplified scheme in some ways, um, switching some things around, putting guys. Um, in proper positions to be able to better stop the run. And I think that we've had some more success doing that. You mentioned after the game that you gave up more yards rushing than you wanted, but it was only on one series. When you went back and looked at the tape, were you happy with the way the run defense played overall? Yeah, yeah. Besides that one series, uh, the rest of the game, I definitely was happy with the run defense. And hopefully we can replicate that because it's, that's what we need to do to have success on defense. And it shows that that's when we do that, 
um, and then we're able to get off the field on third down. That's obviously how we're going to have success. Mark Berman. Hey, JJ, how much did Romeo talk about showing the team some clips of like what happened to the Steelers and what have you, uh, a single play, not letting a single play define a game or a team. How much did Romeo help team bounce back after that difficult loss? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's a tough loss. There's no, no two ways about it. Um, but we all know, I and mean, we've been in this league for a, a long time, you know, we know that it's never one play um, as, as tough as one play may be or may look. Um, it's never one play. I mean, you have a chance to put it away earlier or whatever it may be. So um, we all, we know that that's not how it goes. Philip Thomas. You're on mute. Okay. Uh, there's just a lot of fascination uh, with Deshaun and his draft class, obviously with Mahomes and Trubisky. Uh, and, and obviously that would be a lot of pressure for any of those three quarterbacks. How do you think he's handled it? And what do you think the fascination fans and media have with this, uh, with this particular trio? Uh, I mean, he's obviously handled it well. He's a, he's a great player. Um, he's going to have an unbelievable career. Um, I think the fascination with that class is, I mean, the assumption would be how it all has played out. Obviously, I mean, Patrick Mahomes having won an MVP and a Super Bowl MVP already so early in his career, um, but but not being the first guy drafted. Um, and just how it all has shaken out from that standpoint um, and moves to, moves that were made. I mean, I think that any time that there's so many parts to – picking guys and then seeing how it plays out. And obviously the quarterback position in the National Football League is is the most watched and talked about position by far. So there's plenty of intrigue swirling around that, no question. Um, but I'm happy and fortunate with the guy we got here. Thank you. Aaron Wilson. Hey, JJ. Obviously the most important things are the wins and the losses. And you have put that in perspective many times. How do you feel about how you've played uh, and the season you're manufacturing kind of, and how you're feeling at this stage in the season? Um, like you said, I mean, it all comes down to wins and losses. So to me, it doesn't matter how I'm playing individually. It matters how we're doing as a team. Um, individually, I feel as though, I've, like I said last week, I've gotten stronger each week as it goes on. Um, and I hope to continue that as we go and finish out strong. But um, as I've said many times before, individually, nothing matters when you're not winning. So it really is a moot point. Right. And when you look at the <clears throat> the way the defense has played lately, are you encouraged you kind know, of the sort of the, the way the direction now? Um, you guys have played together for a lot of snaps, and you know you've had plugged in some new people. How do you feel like that's going, just in terms of the chemistry with the defense right now? Yeah, I mean, I think we're playing better as of late than we were earlier in the year, no question. Um, I mean, I think that obviously we've been in a tough situation with guys going down, injuries, whatever it may be, and having to put other guys in those situations and moving guys into positions that they may not be in, et cetera. Um, but that's the National Football League. You know, teams are dealing with that every single week, especially with COVID and everything. So you got to figure it out and find a way. Um, I think some of the simplification of things and the ability to just focus on the things that we need to do has helped. And I think that we have improved over the season. Um, I, don't, I still don't think we're as good as we want to be on defense, but I think that um, we want to be in a position where we can help us, give us a chance to win every game. And uh, that's what we need to do for the last four weeks. John McLean. Soldier Phil has kind of a mistake in the NFL through the 
decades, even though it was rebuilt. Growing up a Packers fan and seeing them play every year, is it special because you don't get to do it very much to play there after you watch the Packers play there so much? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a historic stadium. It's a historic franchise. I grew up playing hockey in the Chicago area, uh, northern suburbs, you know, Winnetka, Naperville, Rockford. I played hockey all over Chicago, so um, I'm very familiar with it. Obviously, like you said, I haven't watched the Packers-Bears rivalry a ton growing up, um, and just just knowing the history and tradition that is there, Mike Ditka and, and all the guys that have been through there before, Walter Payton, um, just it has a it's an incredible organization, and so it is cool to get a chance to play there. Um, I mean, I grew up stopping at the Lake Forest Oasis and crushing Auntie Anne's and Subway and uh, Panda Express, and then I had Portillo's and Lou Malnati's and some of the staples down there. So I'm not going to lie. I looked up where we're staying in Chicago, and there's a Portillo's like half a mile away, so it's going to be pretty dangerous for me. Uh, I think Lou Malnati's is like another half a block, so – um, my wife lives there now, and so I've, tasted, I've obviously had a lot of the food in the area. So Robert's Pizza and Dough, and there's a whole bunch of good com- good places to eat there that it's going to be very difficult for me not to uh, order a little delivery service. But I am looking forward to playing in Soldier Field. I wish they would cut the grass a little shorter. That's all I'll say. Two more. Cody Davis. Hey, JJ, how do you feel Romeo Cannell has changed the outlook of this season um, for you guys, especially after that 0-4 start? I think he's done a good job. I've said in the past, I think he's done a good job of keeping guys enthused and keeping guys into it and practicing hard and playing hard. Um, obviously, we're still not where we want to be. Uh, we, we aren't gonna. Uh, we aren't where we want to be in terms of, obviously, overall record and things like that, but Romeo's like I've said before, a guy that you never leave a conversation with Romeo without a smile on your face. He's a guy who you want to play hard for. He's a guy you don't want to disappoint. You don't want to let down. Um, so guys come and they work hard every single day because they respect him and really want to put their best foot forward for him. Last question for Aaron Wilson. JJ, when you look at the final stretch of the season, what do you think is ahead of this team? Some of the things that you guys want to try to get done. Obviously, the record is what it is, but what do you guys hope for in the in the final quarter for yourself and for the rest of the guys? Just try and play good football. I mean, you just, you got four games left. You want to go out there. You want to put good football uh, on the field. You want to win. You want to give the city of Houston something to be proud of when they watch the games on Sundays. Um, You want to put forward good effort. You want to continue to improve both individually and as a unit. Um, But every time you step on the field, it's an opportunity. So regardless of the situation that you're in, regardless of, what can't happen at the end of the year, you want to go out there better every single game. And there are four chances to go out there and play National Football League games where you're getting reps against National Football League players and you can get better from a technique standpoint. You get better from an education standpoint. You can get better uh, and continue to improve and grow as a player, as a unit, and as a team. And you can also have some fun while doing it and give these people in the city of Houston something to smile about. We're not going to finish where we want to finish this season. Um, But we can still go out there and, and lay it all on the line for these people and try and try and bring a little bit of joy on Sundays. And that, my friends, is much appreciated. All right, let's hear from the man himself, Deshaun Watson. He is going to be the focus of many conversations this week with the Bears on Sunday. And obviously the intersection of 2017 with the Bears and Mahomes and Trubisky and all that kind of stuff. 
Well, it turned out the Texans were going to end up with Deshaun Watson. The Bears ended up with Mitchell Trubisky. They will meet on Sunday. Let's listen to Deshaun and hear what he had to say about this one. Last week, uh, Romeo said he didn't think the passing game would suffer despite the fuller suspension because you're playing great and you had 100-yard receivers with Kiki and uh, Hanson. Uh, are you confident they can continue to do that for the rest of the season? Most definitely. I'm, I'm confident in Chad. You know, I have experience with Chad over this whole COVID break. You know, he was with me every, every pretty much every training throwing session in the offseason. Same with Kiki and both of those guys have been proven. They've just been, you know, keeping their heads down and, and learning from all the older older guys and then their opportunities came and they're ready for that. So uh, we're going to continue to, you know, pass the ball and, and do what we do and try to get, you know, instead of yards, but, you know, try to get more, you know, points on the board also. Aaron Wilson. Hey, Deshaun. During the draft, Rick Smith, who's the general manager here at the time, he felt strongly that he should move up, trade up to get you. What has that decision meant to you? And obviously it's a decision that affected this franchise and also the other ones that, that didn't wind up with a quarterback in that draft. Um, yeah, I mean, Rick's, Rick, I, I can really just speak on Rick, but I appreciate Rick. Um, and I appreciate, you know, his, his trust in me and, and, and moving up and trying, you know, Getting, getting able, getting the pieces right for me to be able to be here um, in this organization, and um, you know I thank him and I respect him for that, you know, and his gut feeling and, and trusting me. So, um, all, all salute, I salute to Rick and his family, and and um, you know to this day he'll ever, you know, forever, you know, have my respect for sure. And off topic, you're getting in the restaurant business. Uh, you're an owner. How important was it for you to not just be an endorser on this one, but to have equity and to be a part of it, and what made Lefties the, the you know the right opportunity for you? Uh, it was just a vibe. It was Sam, uh, you know, the owner of it. You know, went up there and, and spent some time with him and his fam, and I just love their energy. Young entrepreneurs came from nothing that that worked and hustle and still is, and not stopping until you know he at the top. And that's the, that's the person I want to be you know in business with. That's the person I want to be around with. So I re, I respect Sam and the whole Lefties family. And, um, you know, I just want to be a part. And I, I didn't want to just do like a little partnership and do a commercial with him. I want to be a part of the family. And he, he opened the doors and let me in. So, you know, we're going to do this together and, and, and make it the hottest franchise in, in America. Aaron Reese. Hey, Deshaun, what have uh, you learned from JJ and the time you've been his teammate about what it means to kind of be uh, the face of this franchise and what the responsibilities that requires and, and just how you have to carry yourself? Um. I mean, just everything. I mean, just from the way he work, the way he, you know, carries himself as a professional on and off the field, the people he associate with, um, the way he does, you know, business and, and talk to people and the way he perform on the field. That's, you know, all that's all those things, you know, he, he's doing at a high level. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, whenever, you know, um, later in my career, um, you know, I have the same, you know, mentality or impact, you know, for the next young guy that's coming up. I also want to ask you, uh, David Johnson, he's putting up kind of the, the um, lowest numbers receiving for him of his career. What's been just the challenge of getting him involved in, in the passing game so far for you guys this season? I mean, he missed four four weeks, I think, three or four mm -hmm. weeks for concussion. And then, I mean, we have, you know, four guys and, you know, and two running backs. So, I mean, of course, we want to get him active, but at the same time, you got Will Fuller, you got Cookie, you got Cobb, you got Stills, who was here. You know, all those guys was here at the same time. So, I mean, we got a lot of weapons. So, um, you know, you don't want to just isolate him to do one thing. You try to move him around and, 
you know, move the ball around for sure. Greg Bailey. Deshaun, you mentioned to us uh, Sunday in postgame that, that you know, kind of dealing with, with a loss like that is something that, that you haven't done a whole lot of. How did you kind of process uh, what happened at the end of that game after we saw you, and how do you turn things like that into motivation as you move forward? Um, just got to be, you know, attention to details all the way to the end. And in the, in the clutch, you know, moments like that, we just got to be locked in all the way. So that's that's pretty much it. But once, you know, Monday hit, it was over with and on to Chicago. And, you know, we just got to keep pushing forward and, <clears throat> you know, get ready for the next game. And do the, do the near misses fuel you to, to get better and, and, and reach those ultimate goals that you talked about uh, afterwards on Sunday of taking this team, you know, to where they want to go with the championship? Most definitely, yeah. We just got to continue to charge it to the game and then, um, you know, use that energy and, and, and motivation, you know, for the next opponent. For sure. Pat Finley. Hey, Deshaun. Uh, I cover the Bears for the Chicago Sun-Times up here. Now, I'm curious, you don't strike me as a guy who, who needs any added motivation, but is there any facing the Bears? And, and also, can you appreciate why this is an important storyline uh, for other teams uh, who have watched their team uh, uh, not draft you or pass on you? No, nah, it's no motivation. Um you know, that's what the organization went with. You know, I had no ties, nothing against the Chicago Bears or the organization. I mean, of course, you know, the media is going to make stories. And like you said, you know, for those fans, they're going to, of course, say something about it. But, you know, for me personally, yes, no motivation and nothing like that. You know, they did what they did and um, and, and just keep pushing forward, you know, and that's the that – they thought that was the – you know, best situation for them themselves at that time. So for me, it was just no motivation. You know, I respect and got all the respect for those players and coaches and ownership at, you know. All right, that'll do it for J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson from the podium. We get back. Drew Doherty and I go in the lab next on Texans Access. 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 We've got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access on a wonderful evening. This is why you live in Houston. And hopefully the second part of that is that eventually the Texans will win championships. So you live in Houston for great weather and that the Texans will win championships behind Deshaun Watson. That'll be fun down the road. Now, to do that, they've got to find a general manager and a head coach. And Cal McNair announced with the season ticket members he, re- he made, uh, sent it out to them to let them know that there is going to be a committee, not the search committee, but a committee to help provide information to Cal and the McNair family to help make this decision. So we got that news about 45 minutes or an hour before In the Lab started. And Drew, before we started, said, you know what? That game was a kick in the backside. You want to talk about this committee? I said, sure, let's do it. And so we did, and here it goes. Is my hair kind of like Dan Aykroyd's and Tommy Boy? Yeah, a little bit. That's cool. Kolinsky or whatever. There is no no problem with that being the case, Drew. None whatsoever. Now, you let it grow out, you get a little heat miser thing going. That still would be cool, though. I mean, it's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, uh... I'm I'm still not going to ever really get over Sunday's loss, so let's not talk about it. Let's yeah, uh, let it go. 
And, I, you know, let's not really talk about the Bears because earlier this morning, this is Tuesday, we're shooting it uh, at about quarter after 11 on Tuesday morning. Let's talk about this committee that Cal McNair announced that the Texans are using in conjunction with the Corn Ferry Search yep. Committee. But uh, some star-studded names on this list. You got Andre Johnson. We all know who that is. Ring of Honor. Yep. Greatest Texan ever. All that stuff. And he's kind of done some football ops things the last year or two. He stepped back from it this year, though. But he's got experience. He knows this organization. He knows the city. You also have Jimmy Johnson. Maybe one of the greatest winners of all time. Yep. I mean, he built a, a nice program there at Oklahoma State. Then went to Miami. Won one national title. Um, probably should have won another. I mean, Penn State really – anyways, that's another yeah. – anyways, he had he built a powerhouse. Had a powerhouse yes. one at the U. Then he went to Dallas, and this is where his, his greatest mark was made. Went 1-15 uh, in 1989, traded away a superstar, got back a boatload of picks in return, and within a few years, back-to-back Super Bowl champs, one of the greatest dynasties of all time. I'll put him up there with anybody. And he yep. did that pre-salary cap era, left. Then he coached in the salary cap era with Miami, four seasons, had uh, no worse a record than 8-8 eight and eight his first year, and then he was above 500, went to the playoffs each of the last three years with the Dolphins. And for the last basically 20 years, he's been on TV at, since 2002 at Fox. And another TV guy, Tony Dungy, mm-hmm. built the Bucks. They let him go. Next year, Gruden comes in, wins a Super Bowl with that Bucks team. He goes to the Colts, wins their only Super Bowl title with Peyton Manning. Now he's been in, uh, on NBC Football Night in America and, and, you know, been a good one. Kind of the wild card, I think, is R.C. Buford. He doesn't have a yeah. football background, but he's won. He's been a GM with the Spurs, and uh, they won in three, you know, back-to-back, excuse me, every other year, 03, 05, 07, and then in mm-hmm. 14. And they did so with a superstar. You say, what the hell does R.C. Buford know? How hard is it to, to GM around Tim Duncan? Well, he did a lot of things, and that kind of applies to what the Texans have. They have a superstar in Deshaun Watson, so I, I like that. And then a, the name on the list that probably the fewest people know is Rod Graves. And Rod Graves primarily is known for being the GM of the Cardinals for about a decade. They got to a Super Bowl with him as a GM. Yes. Um, he's from Houston. Went straight Jesuit College Preparatory. Go Crusaders. Then he went there to Texas go. Tech. He was with the Bears starting out, and he was there as a scout uh-huh. when they won it all in 85 and probably should have won another two Super Bowl titles at least. So he's been around, and now he's in charge of the Fritz Pollard Alliance. Um, so it's a really diverse group. It's a group that has seen the highest of highs, but it's also a group that's failed and learned from their failures and can tell you specifically about what the Texans are hiring and going through right now, what to avoid, what to accentuate, what to look for. I really like this mix. It's a very, very diverse group of folks, and I can't wait to see what comes of it. I don't know how often they meet, what's the protocol, how they do this. We'll find out about that, I'm sure, in the weeks to come. But the names on this list are very intriguing to me, John. No doubt. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Rod Graves, you know, going to Jesuit. You know, the Fritz Pollard Alliance, Fritz Pollard, Brown University graduate. So yeah. um, one of the first African-Americans um, to be a vital figure in college and pro football. The, the thing I love about the makeup of this committee, and I know you didn't say it, 
we'll emphasize that this is not a search committee. These aren't the guys doing right. that. We've got Corn Ferry to help with that. This is a group of people that have been very successful in professional sports. And like you said, I think it's a great thing that you brought up because I think it's really easy to look at somebody that's been very successful and has always been successful and say, well, how did you do it? I think the bigger thing to me, and, and, and you hit right on it, and it's actually going to be one of my points, is adversity in this game comes quickly. And you can't help but think about, um, you know, la- I, I think about last year, 2019, we have this big monumental win over the Patriots, and you're sky high, and the next week at halftime, it's 31-3. to You're down to a rookie quarterback in the yeah. Denver Broncos. And, you know, I thought about that. Uh, this week, you know, with the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans go to Indianapolis and blow the doors off the Colts. Then turn around the next week at home in a key game against the Browns, and it's 38-3 to at halftime. The Titans are down. And so this game is full of wild swings of adversity and success. And you talked about it. Tony Dungy took the Bucks, built the Bucks, but he could only get them so far. The year he leaves – John Gruden wins a championship with that group. And, you know, Tony Dungy, I'd imagine, yeah, he went to to Indianapolis. But at some point, it's like, man, I built that team. There's got to be some frustration with that. How do you 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 deal with that? Jimmy Johnson, you know, when he went to Miami, like you said, with a salary cap now, it was a whole different ballgame. And by that point, people had taken what the Cowboys had constructed, you know, the draft value chart, and they were using it for their own. So nobody was going to pull that sort of move anymore that Jimmy pulled, really, to get the Vikings to bite on Herschel Walker. And then he was very, um, man, that's sort of kind of sinister in a sense that he knew the rules that he could take the players the Vikings gave him, cut them, and then get draft picks for it. And so I want to come back to that draft pick idea in just a second. Rod Graves, been through it all, seen it all. And the fact that he knows Houston, I think, is a big – I think it's a big part of this, Drew – understanding the city of Houston, being from mm-hmm. here, knowing what the city's about, I think that's absolutely massive. R.C. Buford is one, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yes. <laughs> Excuse me. This is, per- this is perfect because I've, I've always said this about coaches. I feel like, and I, and I watched this documentary, kind of a short documentary on, on Doc Rivers last night. And Doc, went, he, he talked about a number of different things. And I thought it was really telling because Doc's one of the people that I think about and say, if you coach and you're, you're a great coach in one sport, I think you would be a great coach in another sport. Now, there are different rules that I think make things a little bit more difficult. Like trying to execute a trade in the NBA is probably the most difficult thing ever. In the NFL, it's fairly straightforward. You know, the salary cap, uh, differences in the NFL and the NBA are much different, but you can you can learn those things in due time. Mm-hmm. But if you can coach, or you can in RC's case, if you can manage people and build a winner, then you know the characteristics and people that you need to have in the organization to win games at a high rate, continue to win games at a high rate, and eventually win championships. And I think the final thing I would say, and I'm not sure on the committee who I would point to to say, 
this is that person that helps you do this. And time out. We got to, I got to correct things. It's not a search committee, this group. It's an advisory right, I know. I said group. that earlier. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure just making really. sure people yeah. pop in sometimes and they're like, oh, search. It's not a search no, committee. Not a search committee. Oh, and if I said that, I, I, I said that I earlier. Probably, I probably was the one that said I'm making it, so. sure that, no, you didn't say it. I, that's why I wanted to emphasize earlier that we didn't say that because it's not what this is. This, this really is an informational based opportunity for, for the McNair family to decide as he put very clearly in the statement that went to the season ticket holders, this committee is to help me ultimately myself and my mom, our family will make this decision. But the last thing I would say, and if I said to you, Drew right now, like what's the best team in the NFL? I, a lot of people say chiefs. I think the one thing the Chiefs have done, and this is the one thing, and I don't know, this is the part that I would, I would give this committee the opportunity to, and I get feedback from, is how do you adapt to changes in the game before those changes are made, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that, I go back to a quote I saw from Andy Reid. Andy Reid had this quote about, I don't know, about four or five years ago. He was talking about college football in particular. And he said, you know what? The NFL is about five to seven years behind college football. He said, the NFL will catch up to all the things that colleges are doing. He said, but we're usually five to seven years behind that curve. Thing was, is Andy kind of sped that up. He got about three years behind that curve and started really doing some things in the NFL that others weren't doing. Now, obviously, they had some talent. They went out on a limb on some guys that, that probably – we're going to be drafted by a lot of teams. Probably were off teams draft boards because of some stuff off the field. But they took a chance because they felt like these guys would eventually become really strong professional people. So you take some of the things that Andy kind of moved ahead with. Again, a guy in his 60s. Moving ahead with, with talent and then hitting it right with the quarterback and away you go. And now all of a sudden you've got, you've got a you've got a. Uh, you had something you're building for a long time. So I think you have to have somebody that is always sort of ahead of the curve. And, and, and where that comes in, whether it's just responding to changes in the game, like, for example, you know, inside linebackers now in the NFL, you don't have to be 250 pounds anymore. You don't even have to be 225 pounds. I, I've, had, I've had conversations with scouts over the last five to seven years at a minimum. They're like, yeah, we can't. Our, our organizations won't let us look at that guy because he's not 240. Well, too late because now all of a sudden somebody snapped up 225 pound linebacker that can run and go make plays. You know, we got Zach Cunningham at 230 pounds come out of Vanderbilt. It was perfect because he can run. And that was something, you know, adapting to the changes of the game before they're really, you know, other teams can take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And that I think is where, you know, whoever's brought in as GM and head coach can do that. And hopefully this committee will help Cal to see that. And maybe they don't know the answer to that. Maybe they don't know exactly where it's going. But they can have discussions with Cal to say, Cal, this is something you need to be alert for in your conversations for who's going to be the GM and the head coach going forward. I like it. I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah, very much so. Very minimal. I'm intrigued by this group of names that, that uh, are going to help advise the Texans moving forward. I think this whole process is completely and totally fascinating in and of itself. And how Cal McNair and the McNair family came to 
the how they found the names or thought about the names uh, involved in this process, I think is just is is I think it's so intriguing, and I'd love to know. And maybe down the road we can put that question to Cal McNair on the radio and say, "Hey, where did the idea of these particular individuals come to?" R.C. Buford. I mean, he's in basketball. I mean, what what did you see? So that would be kind of fun. But that was good talk with Drew on our In the Lab podcast about the committee that will help help not do the search committee, not be the search committee, but help Cal McNair and the McNair family in the search for GM and head coach for this organization going forward. All right, that's going to do it for the show. A big thanks to DP Sidhu, to Adam Johns, who writes for The Athletic on the Chicago Bears, to Mark, to Drew, of course, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much to my guys back at Studio Jacob. You did a great job tonight, as always. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans. And as always, go Texans. And as always. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Apache Corporation. Nearly 3 billion people worldwide live in energy poverty, meaning they lack access to reliable electricity or clean cooking fuels. The natural gas and oil produced by companies like Apache Corporation help power cleaner electricity, enable access to food, education, and healthcare, and connect us to those we love. We are committed to providing the energy the world needs and to elevating families across the globe to higher standards of living. Learn more at ApacheCorp.com. That's ApacheCorp.com. Now here's the show.